0: Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and brings impact to your life. Enjoy the message. I'm going to get into the lesson this morning. I've got, I'm going to try not to go over too much today, uh, but uh, I do have a lot of material here and I want to talk to us about something that, that I think, well, I know all of us deal with it at one point or another. Uh, Sometimes it uh, it affects us worse than than others, or some people worse than others. But I want to talk about fear today, anxiety. Uh, you know, I, I uh, I've got a lot of things going on in my life right now. There's going to be a lot of changes that are that are taking place. You know, every time my my back goes out, this this dread comes over me. Is it going to heal up this time? And and is am I looking at surgery? What's going to happen? Is this going to change my life? And, I, you would think by now, after about five or six times of going around with this, that, that I would know that God touches me. And even though maybe it's not a miraculous, instantaneous healing, he allows, he, the Bible says that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. It's a beautiful thing that that our bodies are capable of healing themselves for the most part in a lot of different ways. And I agree with David when he wrote that. It's amazing to me because I can't imagine that if we got uh if we were born and we were injured and an injury just didn't heal, think about that. Think about it. If if you got a cut, a cut just wouldn't heal or, you know, our bodies are made to heal. But sometimes my mind, you know, I, I get a little fearful and, and retirement's right around the corner and everybody's like, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, this is going to be awesome. There's another part of me that says, wait a second, that has been your stability for 33 years. You've raised family. You know, you've got steady income coming in. There's, there's, and a, a part of me is like, ah. you know, is it, am I the only one? Does anybody else deal with those things? Yeah, sure. You're right there, just retired, you know, and, and, uh, and, we've got two or three of us that are, that are just right on that, that part of our life where things are changing. And, and even though, you know, it sounds good up front, there's parts of you that, that worry about how's this going to turn out? You know, what's, what's going to happen? So I want to take you to 1 Samuel uh, chapter 20. 1 Samuel chapter 20, Jonathan Jonathan, and David are having a conversation here. They're, they're best, best friends, confidants. And uh, Saul is uh, Jonathan's father. He's also the king of Israel. And he wants David dead. He wants he wants David out of the picture. But Jonathan had been an advocate for David for David, with his father, he's like, Dad, why are you, why are you trying to kill this man that's done nothing? He's, he's not sinned against you. As a matter of fact, he's, he's done great things for our country. He's done great things for you. He doesn't hate you. He's not after you, and, uh, and he seems to get through to to Saul there for a moment. And Saul even swears to Jonathan, no harm's going to come to David. But then in the right circumstance, when David, Jonathan goes and brings David back before Saul, this evil spirit comes over Saul, and Saul once again tries to take a javelin and destroy David. And so David is on the run, and he meets up with Jonathan in hiding to have a conversation about his circumstance, because I don't believe Jonathan totally understands what has happened. Maybe he wasn't there, I'm not sure. And David needs to let him know I'm not safe yet. That's why I'm running, that's why I'm hiding. David was very fearful. First Samuel, would you stand with me today? 1 Samuel chapter 20 says, And David fled from Naoth in Rama and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is mine iniquity? And what is my sin before thy father that he seeks my life? Jonathan responds, God forbid thou shalt not die. Behold, my father will do nothing, either great or small, but that he will show it to me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. So David's saying to Jonathan basically here, he said, hey, your dad swore to you that he would not kill me, but he tried it again. I'm not safe around your father. And Jonathan's like, My dad tells me everything. He doesn't hide anything from me, and he promised me that you were safe. This this can't be, David. What you're telling me can't be. But David says, and David swore moreover and said, thy father certainly knoweth that I have found grace in thine eyes. And he saith, let not Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as thy soul liveth, There is but a step between me and death. Tells Jonathan, my life could be snuffed out just like that. It could be over just like that. With the help of the Lord, I just want to teach this lesson today that I've entitled, When Fear Takes Hold. David is not the same David that went out on the battlefield to face the giant. Now he's running from the battle instead of running to the battle because fear has taken hold. We find here where David is dealing with a great deal of fear, and that fear has him responding differently than what you might have expected a great warrior, a great triumphant warrior, a future king to act like. Fear is one of those things that we all deal with at one time or another, you know, I mean, uh, we fear that when somebody gets sick, we fear when somebody starts getting older, we may fear that we might get sick. We, all, it really doesn't matter. Will we lose our job? If I lose my job, what will happen? What's the future hold? We have all kinds of fears that we deal with, and, and there's, there seems to be a phobia for just about everything, just about everything. Some of those phobias are a little bit stranger than, than others. I mean, I understand how someone might have what is called uh, amophobia, which is the fear of needles or or pointed objects. I know that, you know, when uh, my wife, uh, if she gets a shot, she has to look away. She doesn't want to see it happen. Me, I can sit there and watch them, you know, take blood out of my arm or whatever. It doesn't bother me. Uh, she, she she faces her fear. She lets them go ahead. But, but you know what? There's some people that really have a great fear of needles or anything that that's pointed. And I also understand arachnophobia. Now, I don't like spiders. I don't run screaming away from the uh, room that has a spider in them, but I want that thing dead. If, I, if there was a spider that crawled across our bed at night, I would not go back to sleep until I found it and destroyed it. I mean, I don't want to sleep, you know, if I know that there's a spider in the room. I don't want to close my eyes. So I can kind of understand that kind of phobia. But there's a a phobia that's called bibliophobia. Anybody know what that is? It's the fear of books, the fear of books. To me, that sounds like uh, a kid that mom says, did you get your homework done yet? And he says, no, mom, I've got a phobia. I've I've got bibliophobia. I'm scared to open a book. I mean, that just sounds, there's even a phobia called phobophobia, which is the fear of phobias. (laughs) I'm scared that I'm going to be scared of something. It's like a fear within a fear. And and so the fear thing, I I get it, it's it's real. It's a very real thing. And if not controlled, it can be debilitating. Uh, But even worse than than just causing us to kind of hibernate or get away or stay away from certain things, uh, uh, it can also wreck our relationship with God if we don't get our fears under control. Very important that we that we face certain things. Uh, there was a, a a general, General Thomas Hardy, that said, "More life may trickle out of men through a thought than through a gaping wound. More damage has been done in our minds oftentimes than it's ever been done into our physical body. We have to be careful about what we allow our minds to wander towards. We have to be careful about what we let into our minds because Fear is a very real thing uh, in our minds, at least, even if it's not a real physical thing that we need to fear. Frederick the Great understood the danger of fear. He wrote a letter to one of his generals, and this is what he wrote in the letter. He said, for the love of God, pull yourself together and do not look at things so darkly. You ever been around somebody that just cannot see anything but the negative in a situation? it's hard to be around somebody like that they they can't they can't see the light of day but that's a real thing he goes on to say the first step backwards makes a poor impression in the army the second step is dangerous and the third becomes fatal why because it becomes a way of life we tend to lean towards letting things scare us instead of conquering those fears moving towards the things that that we're scared of amen Robinson Crusoe is a story that a lot of us have have read in, in the past and and basically if you look at that story it's kind of the, plays along the lines of the prodigal son and he he leaves his family goes off looking for fame and fortune and and winds up uh, very quickly falling into a life of debauchery and and sin and doing all these things and so he finally gets hired onto this shipman's crew and he gets onto this ship and the ship, gets tossed and, and destroyed and he winds up landing all by himself on this island out in the Caribbean. Now it's here uh, where providence kind of takes hold and and he finds a Bible that has washed up onto shore or, or a Bible he he gets a hold of a Bible and through that that Bible in his isolation he begins and to develop this relationship with God and he finds God and he becomes this devout Christian and he starts doing things. It's just him and God, and I thought oftentimes uh, some of my greatest times with God has been when I have been kind of in isolation, and I'm not saying that I've been quarantined or anything like that, but 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 just alone with God in the car where there's really nothing else, no hindrances, no distractions, no conversations going on, where it's just me and I can begin to to. To hear the voice of God, I can begin to listen for his prompting. And oftentimes, it's places like that where, where we really develop that relationship with God because God is all that we have. And so, he's walking on the beach one day when all of a sudden, he sees footprints in the sand, and he realizes that all this time he thought he was alone. He is not alone, and no, it was not Robinson Crusoe. That, that pinned the words of that poem, footprints in the sand. It was not the footprints of God, but He knew that there were tribes that were cannibalistic on the island, and so He's thinking, you know what? Uh, I, I, all of a sudden, his whole uh, his whole peace left him because he feared that he was going to wind up on the uh, invited to dinner and be the main course uh, at one of these tribes, and, and so. He starts to look over his shoulder on every little sound. He can't sleep good at night, and fear takes over his life. He's keeping this journal, and in this journal he writes, thus my fear banished all my religious hope. All that former confidence in God which was founded upon such a wonderful experience as I had of his goodness now gone, now vanished, as if he had fed me by miracle before, could not Preserve by his power the provision which he had made for me by his goodness. And that is what fear does. It robs us of our faith in God. Fear has a way of putting us in a box, and we feel that not even God can get us out of that box. Fear has a way of backing us into a corner, and we feel like God himself cannot help us out of that corner Fear puts us into a dark hole, and we feel like we'll never escape that dark hole when we know in our mind that there is a God that can do anything. There is a God that seeks to save those that are lost, and we do not have to live like that, but we do have to overcome the things that we fear. First time we ever see fear introduced In the Bibles, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to read to you the circumstance here. And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Now, this had never happened before. The Bible says that every evening that the Lord came down and he would visit, he would have conversation, they would talk. I would love to, to know what some of those conversations were like. Wouldn't that be amazing to know uh, who knows how long that that had been going on? just just what did they talk about? So did you find anything new today? you know did you did you see the new tree that I planted over here the new species the this thing then that thing? you know, have you named any more animals you know while I uh, since yesterday and just a conversation between the creation and the creator but but now, now you find them for the very first time God doesn't come down and meet for them. He has to search for them. The Lord called unto Adam and said, where art thou? Adam answers. He said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. There are multiple other references in the Bible, but I'm just going to hit on a couple here. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 and 7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You don't have to fear the unknown. If we have fear in our life, that fear, I promise you, was not placed in us from God because God has not given us the spirit of fear. So where does that come from? We read here, one of the first negative emotions that man ever had to contend with was fear. Maybe the first one was shame and the second one is fear, but it was it was right there. However, both of those are shame and fear are so intertwined together. Shame creates guilt. Guilt creates fear because we we know that that there is coming a judgment day, that if we don't get things straightened out between us and our Maker that 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 there's going to become a day when he he judges us for those things and and oftentimes uh, you know we feel like we we cannot be forgiven and that what's cause that's what causes a great deal of our fear. But God said there's only one sin that you cannot be forgiven for and that's the sin of blasphemy. That's if you've received the Holy Ghost and you know that it's real and you stand up and say you know what there was nothing to it that's one sin that you can't come back from. That's that, But I don't care uh, what other kind of sin that you found yourself in. The devil tells you you cannot be forgiven, but God says that is a lie because I can forgive you. You do not have to fear that my judgment, if you'll come and bring it to me and repent, don't hold it to yourself. Don't keep it in. Find a place to repent and give it to God. And God said, if you'll, if you'll repent towards me, I'll be faithful and just to forgive you those sins. And that's not just my idea. That's the Word of God that says that. So oftentimes, we, we fear even bringing it up before God because we feel like, you know, He's going to come down on us. But God is waiting there to show us forgiveness. And so Adam's in the garden, and before he, ever, uh, before he ever felt what hate felt like or jealousy felt like or strife or envy or anger, he first felt shame and fear. That's why fear can get a chokehold on us. When fear takes over, doubt begins to start its decline in our life. I mean, uh, faith begins to start its decline in our life. Doubt begins to increase. One of the greatest things about the Bible is that it gives us examples of people who have walked the same path before us. Don't think that that you're so different from somebody else that's gone on before us and made it. You know, there's been somebody along the way in all the centuries that this earth has been on that, that has been in the same situation and conquered it. Amen. The Bible shows us people that we honor, admire, them as our heroes but it also gives us remedies for for our own personal victories leading up to the text that I read this morning we find Saul beginning his soon to be relentless pursuit of David he's going after him why because he's jealous did he have a reason to be no Saul was in a poor spiritual state and because he was his mind wasn't thinking like it should have thought so David the Bible says runs off to naoth and takes refuge with the old prophet Samuel. He he runs in the right direction, okay? David runs towards the man of God in his life. He runs towards a man that that has anointed him to be the next king of Israel. And you'll find that three times Saul sends men after David to hunt him down and to bring him back so he can do what he wants to with David or have them kill him or whatever. But three different times uh, you'll see uh, where where they all go out and instead of being able to bring David back, they begin prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon them and they're not able to accomplish what their king has told them to accomplish. So Saul takes it upon himself. He does the same thing. If you guys can't get the job done, I'm going to go down there myself and we'll see what happens. But he finds himself in the same situation. He gets down there among the prophets and he begins to prophesy himself. But there's one thing that is different that allowed everybody to see that Saul, even though he was prophesying, was not anointed, he was not in the right frame of mind. God humiliates Saul by allowing him to strip off his clothes, and he's lying there naked, unclothed amongst the prophets prophesying. They even looked upon him mockingly and said, Is Saul also amongst the prophets? We hear what's coming out of his mouth, but we're seeing something that is that is not right. I think most of us have been around people that can quote the Bible uh, really good, and, and they like to, like to make it sound, and what's coming out of their mouth is truthful, and what's coming out of their mouth is right, But but you look at the way they're living, and it doesn't line up with what they're saying. A lot of people are real proud to be able to, 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 to take the Word of God and to and to speak it and to try to use it to manipulate or try to use it to empower themselves or make themselves look like something they're not, but but trust your instincts and trust your Holy Ghost-given discernment. When you see something like that and you hear something and the words are, are ringing true, but the life is not adding up, be very wary, be very wary. Wary. The life must line up, and Saul's life was not lining up with his words. Even though God was speaking out of him, and through prophetic things, his life was in shambles. And to have a bad heart and still speaks God truth, but somewhere along the line, the bad heart, what's in the heart will reveal itself, especially under true spiritual circumstances. That's why a lot of times, When somebody preaches the Word of God and you're hitting something right on the head, it does two things. I've seen it do two things. It feeds the hungry, but it also, it'll reveal the devils amongst us. It'll reveal the bad spirits amongst us. That's okay. I think that's discernment in operation. The text we read brings us to one of those places in David's life that's going to be his normal way of living for the next few years. David, the man who was after God's own heart, he's fleeing from his greatest enemy, and it wasn't a Philistine or a brother of uh, Goliath that he had killed. No, no. uh, You've heard the old saying, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. You've heard that saying? Like, scorn a woman to see if she don't come after you with claws bared. Be very careful with that but try being a replacement for somebody who's in a backslidden state of power. Saul is in a place of authority. He has power. He is the king of Israel, but he is not the same man that he started out as king. The Saul that was humble, that hid behind the cart or whatever it was when they were looking for him, the Saul that started... Out great as a victor. Now now he's losing. He's not being led by God. He's seeking out sorcerers for his his advice instead of Samuel. Samuel's cut him off. He is not the same man, but he's still in a place of power. And he knows that David is his replacement, that God has rejected him and chosen another. He's not going to go down easy. There's nothing more dangerous that some, than someone who's in a backslidden state and has some authority in their hand towards somebody who's trying to do better in their life. Anybody that comes to this church and you're brand new, you've just received the Holy Ghost, you've just been baptized in Jesus' name, and, and, and you come down and you feel that overwhelming sense of relief of guilt and, and how God has taken all your sins away and you're riding on this cloud, just be ready because there's somebody out there said, yeah, I used to believe that too. I used to live like that too. I, you know, there ain't nothing to it. Just be ready. And the worst ones are those that used to live for God but now do not live for God. They're the most vicious towards you being able to grow in God. Just realize I mean, that's why the devil's so angry towards you and me. We're his replacement. That's why he doesn't want to see you in heaven. That's why, he, that's why he loves to see God's people walk around in fear because fear will freeze you from doing what God wants you to be able to do. My dad, one time, I've told this story several times, so bear with me uh, if you've heard it before, but my dad was kind of a prankster and and there were two boys in the neighborhood that, I don't know if they were sweet on my sister, they were just buddies or whatever, I'm not sure. But anyway, we lived in a two-story house and mine and my sister's bedrooms were upstairs and And my dad worked second shift, got home late at night. And uh, and uh, when he pulled up, he saw, it was like 11 o'clock at night, these two boys standing in our backyard talking up to my sister from her window. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take care of this. So instead of pulling in like he normally did, he pulled on down the street and he went inside the front door and he grabbed a sheet and he'd come outside and he walked down around the hill and he got up behind those boys and he'd come up behind them. They had no idea and he threw that sheet over, over himself. and He walked up behind them. <laughs> he said, the one just fell over backwards and the other one took off running, but he didn't go anywhere. He was just running in place. <laughs> Why? Because they were scared to death. They were so full of fear that they were frozen in their tracks. All the movements were right, but they just weren't getting anywhere, and the one just passed out. Dad had to take the, well, that's okay, son, you know It's been quite the memory uh, emblazoned in my mind. That's what the devil wants to happen to God's people and God's church. He does not want us to move forward. He wants us to stay frozen right where we're at. He doesn't want you to get better. He wants you to remain fearful. Why? Because you cannot do what God wants you to do. If you're frozen in fear, you may even be doing all the movements, but you're not getting anywhere. Amen, you've got to face that fear that's in your life, but you don't have to face it alone. For thou art with me, David said. Thou art with me. We see God as the God up there with the rod and the staff ready to conquer us over the head. That's not what the rod and the staff were for. The rod and the staff became weapons against your enemies, but they were guideposts For the sheep, the flock. Hey, stay over here close to me. Don't wander away too far. Come on, come on. This way, I'm gonna lead you to greener pastures. You gotta follow me. What happened to that boy that herded his father's sheep? What happened to that kid that faced the, the lion and the bear? With a slingshot. What happened to that young man who stepped out on the battlefield to face a a giant that nobody else was willing to face? No armor, no spears, just me and you, God, and this sling and these five stones. See, despite David being anointed by Samuel and on his way to the top position in the kingdom, we see that there are occasions in his life where he's falling prey to fear. Moments when he yields to apprehension, circumstances. You find that exact place where he utters those words, there is but a step between me and death. I'm this close to being taken out. Saul was not a novice on the battlefield. Saul was not just a guy that lived down the street. Saul had resources. He had skill. But David had God, and he had the promise of of God that he was anointed to be the next king. See, the pressure of David's circumstances were getting the best of him, not, not in the realities of life, but in his mind first. It was in his mind that he first began to fear, and then his body followed what his mind was telling him to do, and he said, I, I can't stay here. I've got to run away. He was letting his fear drive him, and that fear, here's the problem. That fear drove him away from the man of God in his life, because you can go to the, to the book uh, in Samuel and find out where he, le- he leaves Naoth, where Samuel was at, and he runs to a place called Gibeah, Fear caused him to walk away from Samuel, the prophet, the one who believed that he was still going to be king. And so in fleeing from Saul, he turns his back on Samuel. And by turning his back on the man of God, the next time he comes in contact with a man of God, a he starts out by lying to him. Now, that's never a good idea, to go to the man of God and to start out the conversation by telling him something that is untrue. When a saint gets out of touch with God, when he moves towards that backslidden state, most oftentimes their conduct becomes confusing. They're like, why would they do that? Maybe you don't realize, you know, nobody just gets up one morning and backslides. It's a process. It's a, it's a slow process regression towards sin, and sometimes it's quicker than others, but but it's not just like boom and done and over. No, there's and oftentimes, you know, there have been times, I've been doing this for a long time, 20-some-odd years that that I've been in ministry, and I've watched people, and I've been concerned, and I've loved people, and there's been some things that, that just to me, it, it sneaks up on me. Now, I know that there's something that's not right, and, and I maybe even will try to open a door or allow somebody to tell me, but if they're not truthful with me, I can't help them. I remember one situation in particular. It was very painful where, where I was reaching out. I, I didn't know what was wrong. I just knew something was wrong, I, and, and they were still coming to church. They were still doing the things that they always did, and and being a part of the church. I just knew there's something wasn't right here. And, and so I don't just dive right in. I'm just not that kind of guy that says, hey, listen, what's the matter with you? Maybe I'd do better with that approach. I'm not sure, you know, but but but, but I make opportunity. I've just never been the kind to force a conversation. If somebody doesn't want to tell me something, I, I, that's their right, but I want them to know, hey, I'm here for you, and I made myself available, and I I went fishing there a little bit. I opened some doors, and and they would never, they would never walk through them. They 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 would just divert the conversation, and, and then finally, eventually, it, it all came to light what was going on. And my heart just broke over that situation because I was thinking, why wouldn't they let me help them? I'll tell you why. Because long before they really, it came to light, they were already backsliding. They were maybe not backslidden, but they were. In the process, you start that slide somewhere. It hurts. People's actions, reactions become so insistent that there's really not any good explanation for it. Except for there's one that's found in the word in Galatians 5.17 says, for the flesh lusts against the spirit. There's this battle, this clash taking place in all of us, in you and me. There's a the nature of the flesh, the carnal man, the carnal woman that battles against the spiritual side of us, the side of us that needs to be fulfilled. What do you have to do? Sometimes we fear and we allow fear to cause us to lean towards our carnal side instead of leaning towards God. What happens when that takes place is we begin to slide backwards, away from God. Don't ever let fear cause you to run away from the man of God in your life or run away from some confidant that you have that is not afraid to tell you the truth straight up. You know, a good friend is not one that just agrees with you all the time. A good friend is one that will be honest enough to tell you, hey, I think you're making a mistake. That's what a good friend does. The flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Cannot do the, fear always makes us flee, make you flee from the house of God, and it'll make you flee from the man of God. Fear will do its best to isolate you from the kingdom of God. It'll cause you to think, it ain't doing me no good, I come to church and I, I knelt down and prayed, but I couldn't feel God, and God wasn't doing anything for me, and I see everybody else getting blessed, and I don't know why I can't get blessed, and the next thing you know, you're thinking, what's the use? What point is there? David flees because there is a shift in his spirit, a shift in his soul. When he fought Goliath, he had depended upon God. He said, you come to me with a sword and a spear. You come to me with with weapons of of, of your armory, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. And we must keep the Lord first and foremost. God must be out in front of us. uh, Goliath followed his armor bearer out, but David followed God out. came to Saul, Saul was very different in the way he thought. He put his trust in himself. That never works. When a man falls into the trap of trusting their own gifts, their own talents, their own ability, faith begins to die. I've seen it happen from from the lowest to the highest. I've seen preachers fail because they, they had no problem getting up and and move in a crowd, but in their heart, they were dying on the inside. You couldn't see it, but it eventually revealed itself. I've seen saints do the same thing. Hey, listen, even the best man can fall when heavy trials come into their life. Abraham denied that Sarah was his wife and created all kinds of trouble. Job cursed the day that he was born. Moses speaks out rashly against the children of Israel. And these are names that we all recognize as being heroes. David messes up. It doesn't matter how long you've been in the kingdom of God. There will be trials that come your direction. This is life on this planet. That's just the way it is. Sometimes you wake up and the day is good, and sometimes you got to face something that you wish you never had to face. You've got fears that come up against you, but the best thing you can do is not run from those things, but trust in God that if he had brought you to that point in life, that he has brought you there with a purpose, that is going to take place in the future. Some things that we come up against are to teach us and train us for a battle that is even bigger than the one that we're facing now. Later on in David's life, and he's faced with the horrific situation that he's found himself in in Ziklag. He's gone off to battle. All these men are following following him. All the ne'er-do-wells, the people that, the ragtag group that he had, but man, he, the Lord was with David. And so they, they have a confidence in David as being the next king, and so they're there with David, and they go off to battle, and they come back from battle, and they find that all their children, their wives, their possessions, everything is gone. And now it's not just Saul as the enemy that David is facing, but it's his own men that are turning against him. Because the Bible says they thought about stoning him. It's not always the enemy that you expect that will come after you. Sometimes it's the enemies that you least expect that will turn their back on you and try to harm you. But the Bible says that David went into the cave, stepped into that dark place, and he encouraged himself in the Lord. When nobody else is there to say, hey, come on, you got this, we depend upon the affirmation of man way too much when God is the only voice that really matters. We like to be popular. We like to be liked. We like to be accepted. But as you live this life for God, the darker the world gets, the more the true church is going to stand out. He said, you're going to be hated for my name's sake because you are Jesus people. Because you are Christian, you're going to find yourself hated. So here he is at Ziklag with his own men turning on him, but his victory over fear, way back, way back in 1 Samuel, has prepared him for his defeat and his fear in chapter 30. Faith is our remedy for fear because fear is one of the spirits that the devil, our adversary, uses against us. He's very wily in the way that he uses He'll catch us. You ever seen somebody kick somebody when they're already down? That's the devil's business right there. He'll find you when you're sick, when you're hurting, when you're spiritually weak, when you just had a loss in your life, and he'll begin to whisper in you, it's never going to get any better either. This is just the way that life is going to be. God has forgotten you. You might as well just listen to the, voice that is speaking in your head right now, but God never intended for fear to dominate His people. Fear is a tormentor, driven by guilt, driven by the unknown. It's driven by sin that's not been dealt with. That's one thing that we have to come to terms with. See, Some people don't want to let go of a sin that God says, hey, I need you to turn that over to me. We fear that it's like a security blanket to us. Sometimes people are like that with their infirmities. They're, they're more in love with their sickness or their illness than they are with the idea that God could heal them from. Don't take that from me because that's come, become my identity. And we cause these things to become who we are. When God is saying, I need you out of that spot because I have something greater for you. Romans ten fifteen, how shall they preach except they be sent, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. I don't want you to think that I'm going to take my cowboy boots off today and pull my socks off and show you my beautiful feet. I'm looking at them saying they're not so beautiful. But I'm telling you this much: God says it's the feet of the preacher that stands behind the pulpit pulpit that brings the word. How beautiful it is that, that people, men and women, will be will answer the call to, to study the Word and then stand up behind a pulpit and preach that Word so the gospel of peace, not of fear, the gospel of peace, and bring glad tidings of good things. I'm not here telling you you're never going to have a problem. I'm not here telling you that there's never going to be anything that tried to drive fear into your heart. But I am telling you, you go to the Word of God and you'll find a remedy for that fear every single time because God has not given us that spirit of fear. There is a remedy. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You want to fight your fears? Read the Word. You want to fight what scares you? Get into the Word. There is a position that God has ordained you as His child and His church to live in. These are places not of defeat, but of victory, a victorious church without spot or wrinkle. So preaching exposes these things so that we can begin to make adjustments. If you're not willing to allow God to transform you, don't expect God to be able to reduce your fear. He's looking for people that saying, God, I'm handing this to you. I've held on to this for a long time. It's become a part of who I am. But, Lord, I, I, I am, I'm not dealing with this anymore. I'm going to give this to you. Have you made mistakes in the past? We all have. H- have you blundered and fallen flat on your face? Of course you have, and so have I. God doesn't care about the fact that you failed. David was a murderer, he was an adulterer, but yet when all these things happened, when it, when it came down to it, he comes back to God and he says, God, if you'll forgive me and take me back, I'm yours, and God took him to a place in, in, in his kingdom that nobody else has probably ever been to because God is the God of restoration. i got to very quickly move on. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself likewise with the same mind, for he that hath suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. When we gain the proper view of the Holy Ghost, how it works in our life, and being able to part ways with the sinful things that we do, we can understand that we're no longer slaves to the flesh. We're no longer slaves to fear. We're no long, longer slaves to failure, but we can be converted to do the will of God. I want to be converted. I want to do God's will. I, I remember as a young man how scared I was. The first time that I ever stood behind a pulpit and and, and preached and tried to bring the word of, of the Lord uh there's some tapes that somebody gave me a, way back when I was a youth pastor here when I preached a few times, and, and I'm listening to that going, oh, you know, my goodness. And, and hopefully I've, I've come a little ways since then. Uh, there's a lot of things that, that we can fear, but, but love conquers fear. Yeah. And our love for God should overcome our fear of what God sometimes is asking us to do. as our music comes today, perhaps the greatest thing that we can do when we've been faced with fear is sometimes just stand our ground. Just stand our ground. When you've done all you can do, stand. Sometimes you're not going to make progress and there are times when God's not ready for you to move on. Sometimes God has a Specific reason for keeping you in a place until he's accomplished in you what he needs to accomplish so that you can progress to the next step. I've uh, taught a Bible study many times called a, From an Acorn to an Oak. In the very first page of that that little booklet that I teach that Bible study from. There is a quote, and it simply says this, the acorn, no, no, it says, the mighty oak was once just a nut that held its ground. The the mighty oak was once just a nut, just an acorn, a small little acorn that held its ground. You see in my front yard, I've got two two of these trees that produce thousands of acorns and they drop. They drop. All all over this this planet there are there are trees that drop those acorns. Do all of them survive? No. Sometimes the the weeds or the cares of life can come in and try to choke them out or Whatever reason, they don't make it. But every year, I mow over hundreds of little sprouts that are trying to make it up. I just keep mowing over them. But there's two in my yard that that made it. One got away from me one year. It was found itself in our landscaping there, and I I, I missed that it was there. And it, it got to be about that tall before I realized it was Even there, it was around on the side of the house. You would be shocked at what it took to get that little tree out of the ground. Why? Because it had already begun to take hold. I couldn't do it by myself. I had to go get something to help me get it out of there. I just want you to know today that when... The cares of life try to choke you out. You may seem like this is nuts. You may feel like a nut. People may treat you like a nut. Every time that that happens, I want you to go out and find a tree that was once just a nut that stayed planted. Don't let anything push you out of the will of God. Don't let anything scare you out of His church. Or his relationship with you, because fear will cause you to w- want to go and run and hide from the very one that created you, the only one that can save you. Stay firmly planted in his kingdom, and there will come a time when you will be a mighty oak in the kingdom of God. Would you stand with me today? Hallelujah. You might be in this place today and be dealing with fears of life. Know that you're not alone. You are not alone. You have people that are surrounding you, and most of all, you have a God that loves you. But you've got to trust Him. You've got to trust Him with all Don't let fear freeze you in your place when God is trying to use you. Give it to him. And I fully comprehend today that probably there will be some that leave this service today and the devil will try to come on with an onslaught of fear and you might even have a terrible afternoon dealing with it, but you remember this. Stay planted. Stay planted. Give that fear to the Lord when the devil tries to throw it up in your face. Trust him